the book of Luke, chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 37 through 49. Luke 6, 37 through 49. While you're turning here, let me share you with this with you. Many of you know. Kelly and I are in the middle of remodeling our kitchen. Uh, we've gotten to the point to where uh, the cabinets needed to be fixed or or exchanged and the appliances were getting old and we're trying to look forward so uh, we talked about appliances we talked about new cabinets we talked about the repairs and uh, we've been really blessed to have some friends come in and help us with this uh, we're trying to do this on a shoestring so we could use all the help we can get and people have shown up and and it's just been great the fellowship's been great um, we're having work done that we could just never have afforded on our own um, but what happened was we started tearing things up and anybody who's familiar with remodeling will tell you that when you start looking inside the walls and that sort of thing you're always going to find a problem well we found some problems with the electricals and then we found some problems with the plumbing and then while we were doing it we found some other problems as well so meanwhile our house is rearranged we've had to move everything out of the kitchen and out of the dining room and it's been we, we don't have a big house so we've got everything shoved into first in the living room and then in the hallways and it's creeping into the bedrooms and the office and everything. And, and so I, I've had to guard myself as, as much as we've been blessed. I've had to guard myself against having some frustration here. And I, I think God has a really great sense of humor because as I've been navigating and stepping on things at night and that sort of thing, I'm doing this sermon on fruit. And I was about to produce some very nasty fruit in my own life and so uh the, the the holy spirit took me to the woodshed on this and I, I just wanted to share that with you in in light of the fact that it's made me realize that each one of us all the time are producing fruit and so that should lead to a question and the question is what type of fruit are we producing and the certain now, now that should lead to another question uh, and we'll get to that towards the end of the sermon. But that question is, who's eating your fruit? Who's eating the fruit that you're producing? So the last time we were in Luke, we took a little excursus and we went uh, looking at one blood. Uh, we found out that we're, we're living in God's kingdom. And that we're called to love, we're called to do good, we're called to bless. We're called to pray for those around us. And that if we understand these calls that as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, as those people who have confessed our sins, uh, have repented from them, and been given new life by, by God through the work of Christ on the cross, that we can shape the new normal. As we begin to exit from this, who knows when, but as we begin to exit from this, we can have an influence on what the new normal looks like. We keep on hearing about the new normal. Well, we have an unprecedented opportunity to shape that new normal. Maybe not for the entire world. That should not be our goal. But it should be to have an influence on the people around us. And it should start with the people who are closest to us. So it's something we need to keep in mind. We're in the middle of uh, Jesus's, in, in Luke we call it the Sermon on the Plain, it's very much like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. And Jesus has revealed at the beginning how, uh, how blessed uh, we are and who the blessed are. 
Uh, and those are the people who have and exhibit the characteristics of Jesus Christ. Then he tells them how they should act, and, and they should be loving their enemies. They should be doing good, blessing, and pray. We, we just talked about that. And they should treat others the way that they want to be treated. So Jesus is going to continue that teaching today as he begins to describe to us how we are to relate to the people around us. So there are four knots, and you know how much I love alliteration, so I had to stretch a little bit on these to get there. But there are four knots in our passage, and uh, these are four things that we need to be aware of in our lives if we're going to call ourselves believers. Four things that we need to, to avoid, four things that can hinder our walk and our relationship with our Father in heaven. And, and in all that, they can also destroy our witness. So we are to judge not in verses 37 through 38. We are to fall not in verses 39 through 42. We are to, and this is where I had to stretch some, so stick with me. We are to bad fruit not in 43 through 45. And then in 46 through 49, we need to build not. Uh, so let's take a look at this, judge not. And I'm going to tell you right up front that this verse has been wildly misused. This, this whole passage is filled with verses that are consistently taken out of context and used to mean something they're not designed to mean. So with that in mind, let's take a look at verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven here. Now, so again, the whole world uses this as an accusation. And, and because the world uses it as an accusation, and, and maybe even we do it sometimes as well, that we have a tendency to point fingers and go, oh, the Bible says judge not. Don't judge that person. And we could take it to mean that we are never to evaluate anyone. And that's not what Jesus is teaching here. The word for judge here is krinete, and in this case it means don't, watch this, it means don't form a negative opinion about someone else. In other words, it says don't come to a conclusion about somebody that's standing in front of you, somebody that you've heard about, somebody that you've got passing acquaintance with. Don't jump to a conclusion about them. And Jesus wants to make this clear by following up with condemn not. Now, this is a different word, katedikatezete, uh, and it means don't declare anyone guilty. Don't pass a sentence upon them. Now, we all know what this looks like, and generally it comes in whispers. That person's not saved. Did you hear what happened here? Oh, by the way, listen to what I heard. This, this happens in the corners. It happens with knowing nods to people uh, that should be superior. Our judgments are private. Very seldom are they public. Maybe with social media, sometimes we make them a bit too public, uh, but it's there. But they're frequently held inside, and they can do damage to us. And, and the reason they can do damage from us is the judgments that we make stem from pride. We keep getting back to pride, don't we? I mean, Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He's laying the foundation for his ministry. He's saying, here's how the gospel is going to go forward from this moment. 
and a lot of what he teaches is based on helping us to avoid the sin of pride. And the judgment that we're talking about here comes from pride, a feeling that we're judging somebody who is somehow below us, somehow doesn't match up to us and the way we live our lives. Somehow, somehow they're deficient. I have a friend, a pastor, who has a complaint book in his office. And uh, whenever somebody comes in and says, Pastor, I need to talk to you about John Smith. Do you know what he's doing? Have you heard what's going on? Oh, he needs prayer. Can we pray for him? Are you going to do anything about his sin? And the, the pastor has this, this spiral notebook called a complaint book. And he says, oh, yes, I'll get on it right away. Now, give me that name again, and I'm going to write everything down that you say. And when you're done, I'd like you to sign it so I can go to Mr. Smith and show him the evidence of his sin. This guy's been in the ministry for 38 years. There's not one complaint in his book. So when we have to own it, it becomes a little bit more difficult. And maybe we get a peek at our pride. Maybe we get a peek at that superior feeling that we have. He's got no signatures. And the reason for that is the type of things that people refuse to sign that would go in that book show no mercy. They exhibit no grace. Yet we're called to be founts of both. And when we make that effort, when, when we exhibit that mercy, when, when grace begins flowing from us, it comes back to us. Watch this. See, we, we have a choice as to the things that we are going to experience in our lives. If we give mercy, we will receive it. Or... Or we can be judgmental. We can be condemning. And, well, we've got a rule for how these things come back to us. We've got a rule for what we give and what we receive in our lives. And it starts there in verse 38. This is another verse that is misappropriated. It's usually used in terms of giving. The promise that if you give money, God is going to send it back to you and multiply it. There's no promise like that in the Bible. Matter of fact, you know, as, as much as we talk about context, we have to take this verse in context as well. Listen to what it says. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. And what, what Jesus is talking about here is not your finances. He's talking about those things that flow from you spiritually. Judgmentalism, con condemnation, mercy, grace. And, and the, the image here is of somebody who has a long apron on. That's what they used to carry seeds and, and wheat around in and, and that, that, that apron will be full and shaken and compacted and pressed down so you get as much as you can possibly get into it and the question we have to ask ourselves is what do we want to take back Paul understood this when he wrote Romans you take a look at Romans 2 chapter 1 
says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So judge not. Don't put it out there. And it won't come back to you. Jesus is talking about how we relate to the other people in our lives. If we're critical, if we're condemning, then we're going to find that the people around us are going to be critical of us and condemning of us. And that kind of makes our pride rise up again and try to defend ourselves. We would be producing critique. We'd be producing judgment as a type of fruit. And that fruit will come back to us. So Jesus is also talking about what will characterize our relationship with God. Now, we're not talking about eternal condemnation here, uh, but if we're harsh with others, then we can expect harshness back. We're going to experience that. A harshness that is designed to humble and to teach. A harshness that rises up out of the love of the Father. God loves us so much that when we're harsh with others, he will be harsh with us. Let me share with you a story about when I was growing up. My Aunt Sylvia lived two blocks from us in Youngstown, Ohio. Her daughter, Nadine, was my cousin. She's about two years younger than me. Nadine, if you're listening, how you doing? And, and we got along really well. But I was a little bit older and a little bit smarter and a little bit more sophisticated than Nadine, and I didn't always treat her real well. And one day, I was being particularly nasty to Nadine. I was probably eight, nine years old or so. And, and Nadine was in tears, and, and I, I confess, I, I liked having that kind of influence. <laughs> and my aunt was watching me, and she came over and she said, you know what, that's not right. And I'm going to start treating you the way you're treating her. And I thought, I can take it. And the first thing my aunt did was called me what I called Nadine. She called me stupid. I'm thinking, I'm not stupid. And then, then she started giving me a really hard time. And in, in just a matter of a few minutes, she had me crying. I said, don't say those things about me. And the fact of the matter is, I had a really good relationship with my Aunt Syl. She loved me. She loved me so much that she showed me the harshness that I was treating Nadine with and how damaging it could be. It was a teaching lesson for me. God, God loves us that much that his spirit would challenge us to examine the type of fruit that we're producing. And the way he teaches us to examine it is by giving us a taste of it. And when we taste how bitter it is, we know what we're producing. We know what's flowing out of us. We know what we're sending to other people. Now, we should be working at this for a number of reasons. And one of the foremost is that we're supposed to be making disciples. We're called to make disciples. It's part of who we are. And if we can't get this right, it can cause other people to stumble. And that leads us to our second knot, which is fall knot. Verse 39. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? 
A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now, this is just an extension of judge not. Jesus is taking it to the next logical point, and he's talking about us seeing fault in the lives of others while being blind to our own. And his question is, how can you disciple anyone if you don't have the basics down? How can you teach anybody if you're not that, that fount of grace and mercy that you're designed to be? Worse yet, if, if, we, if we show no mercy, if we show no grace, we will, as teachers, make disciples that show the same thing or refuse to show the same thing. Jesus wants us to look very closely at what flows from us and understand that we have the option of of setting a good example or a bad example. The bad example is centered on self-centeredness and pride. And the good example is centered on being like Christ. We have that option. And he expands on that with this little parable that he tells. We're familiar with it. Why do you see the speck? Now, the speck that described here would be a very tiny sliver, a splinter, that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Now, the, the word for log here is, is really kind of brings some humor into the situation because it describes, it's the same word they would use to describe the primary beam of a house, the highest point of the house, that it holds up the entire roof and becomes the focal point of the foundation of the house. And the, the later rabbinic teachings taught that the splinter and the log are the same type of wood. So th- this makes things interesting. The, uh, uh, it means that when you see that sliver, when you see that splinter in someone else's eye, you're familiar with it. It's easy for you to see because you're probably struggling at some level with the same issue. And, and the, the, the caricature j- just plays out. 42, uh, how can you say to your brother, uh, brother, let me take out that speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. And again, this is a caricature. And the picture we should get is somebody leaning over another person, examining the speck in their eye when they have this log that is probably 12, 14, or 20 feet long and maybe a two or three foot diameter jammed in their own eye. And they're trying to help the other person. How, how can you do that and not see the log? Well, the only way you can do that is by ignoring the log, by refusing to acknowledge that it's there. This is somebody that spends a lot more time looking at other people around them rather than looking at themselves. It's an incredible act of judgment, incredible act of self-centeredness. And it would be easy to get infected by this, to see the faults in others, because we've made up our minds in advance 
of what their status is. We've already passed judgment. We've already done the condemnation. Now we're going to start tearing into them bit by bit and identifying all the faults and informing them of them so that they can be a better person. One leads to another. So before we find a fault in anyone else, we should very carefully examine ourselves. And we should be just as careful to subject ourselves to the same level of scrutiny that we have subjected someone else to. We should be before God, saying, Lord, examine my heart. I can feel this judgmentalism coming on. I can feel the condemnation growing inside my chest. I can feel the anger and the bitterness. Father, look at me the way I'm looking at the world. Show me. Show me what inside me is hindering uh, my relationship with you. And we should do that. We should do that in every area of our lives, not just the area that we're examining them in, but in every area of our lives. Allow the Holy Spirit to have free reign in our hearts and bring us closer to the Father. We should be careful to fall not and understand that we are having an influence on the people around us and maybe leading them into the same hole that we're falling into. So our third point, bad fruit not. And here's where, here's where all the teaching that Jesus has been doing comes home. Verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Now this would have had particular meaning to the people that were listening to Jesus. They were in an agrarian culture. They understood farming and maintaining the crops and so on and so forth. And they knew that thorn bushes and bramble bushes were a problem to the farmer. Watch this. And that the farmer would deal with them because, because they would choke off the good plants. Jesus is telling us that any bad fruit in our lives can choke off the good fruit in our lives if we're not careful. He says so as much in verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Now we need to hear what's being said here. The things in our heart, the things deepest in our soul express themselves in our actions, and in our words. They come out of us. And this has ramifications. If there's anger and resentment coming out of our mouth, you see, that's what's in our heart. That's what's inside us. That's what's rising up and coming, pouring out of us. We don't want it to do that, but we can hardly help ourselves. If that's what's in your heart, then you are a bramble or a thorn. You're not a blessing. 
If any of us do this sort of thing, we're not being a blessing. The fruit that we're producing is bad fruit. Now, some of us struggle with these things. As a matter of fact, I would venture a guess and say all of us struggle with this sort of thing at one time or another. Bad fruit comes from us. And if, if we're not careful looking at a passage like this, we can begin to doubt. We can begin to question our salvation. We can begin to, to experience trepidation over whether or not when we get to heaven we're going to be let in. You know, we got this big picture, at least I do, of Peter standing at the gate. And, and maybe he's standing there going, well, I don't know, John, you were judgmental that day. And because of that, you've got a dark heart, so I'm not letting you in. That's not what, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the, the opportunity for God to refine us. And, and there, there's an answer to these problems that we have. There's a solution to what happens when this nastiness comes out of me. What happens when I look around and see that I'm producing bad fruit? When I see it in the eyes of the person that I love the most. When I see it in, in the demeanor of the people that are closest to me, that I've done damage to them, I've hurt them. Am I doomed? No, there's a solution to this. And that leads us to our fourth knot, and it is build not. And the key verse is verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Now stick with me. Verse 47 says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Here's the rest of the story about our kitchen. We found electrical problems. We found plumbing problems. And while we were doing that, we found a soft spot in the floor. And that lead, led us to look into our utility closet where our water heater and our air handler is. And as we looked at them, we found that they were kind of tilting together. So we had two friends go underneath the house and found rot in the foundation. Now we had gone from, we want a new kitchen and some new cabinets to the foundation is crumbling. And with a lot of help and a lot of effort, that foundation got shored up. It was, a lot of parts were re replaced. Uh, we had a new foundation. You see, brothers and sisters, at some point in our lives, every one of us needs some work on our foundation. At some point in our lives, some part of our foundation shows some weakness. And God has given us his word as a firm foundation. That's what verse 46 is all about. But we, we have to build on it. Some participation is required. 
How do we build on it? Well, we get familiar with it. We read the word. We listen to it. But we can't just be hearers of the word. James tells us that we have to be doers of the word as well. So if we commit to doing these things, to being familiar with the word, to listening to the word, and then applying it, uh, putting our theology into action, uh, it's more than just doctrine. It's more than just uh, academic learning. It's finding out who God is, what his character is, how we relate to him, and then making it part of our lives, then no storm, no flood, no earthquake, no economic collapse, and no COVID-19 will ever make our house fall. It will be built on a strong foundation. And coincidentally, that's also the solution to the bad fruit problem. All of these parables lead to this simple rule, and it's do what the Word says, and we'll produce good fruit. There's our, our four knots. Judge not. Don't form conclusions about others. Don't pass sentence on them. Refuse to condemn them. Because it produces bad fruit. And it can come back on us. Come back on us in our relationship with others. Come back on us in how we relate to our Father in heaven. Fall, fall not. Don't fall into a hole. One way or another, we're teaching the people around us. We're informing them. If we're following Christ, we're going to lead them there. If we're if we're filled with anger, if we're filled with pride or self-righteousness, well, we're going to lead them there at the same time. And both of us will fall into that hole. Bad fruit not. Let's examine ourselves, not others. Let's determine what is flowing from us. Let's ask the Spirit to examine it. Let's be objective. Let's be realistic about who we are and what we're doing and not allow our anger and our pride to motivate us. And if it's good fruit that's coming out of us after we've examined ourselves, praise God. Praise God. That's evidence of the transformation that we've been going through. If it's bad fruit, well, if it's bad fruit, think about this. You know, because we can kind of alienate ourselves and go, okay, so there's some bad fruit out there. But somebody's eating it. Somebody's eating the fruit that we produce. And that's not good for anybody. The fourth knot is build knot. If your life needs some adjustment, it's not too late. We're going to be with God for all eternity. But he shows us these things here, now, so that we can adjust our lives, so that we can refocus and, and put the, the emphasis on him and not ourselves. We can rebuild our foundation. We can shore that foundation up with the word of God and a willingness to walk that word out in our daily lives. Everything, uh, otherwise, everything else will collapse just like our water heater and our, and, and our air handler were ready to collapse into our crawl space. So one thing should be clear from everything that we've heard here today. You are producing The only question you have to answer is it bad fruit or is it good fruit? Well, there are two questions you have to answer. 
Is it bad fruit or is it good fruit? And who's eating your fruit? Who are you feeding? Are you feeding the people around you the goodness and the mercy of God? Are you spooning up the grace of God, His holiness? Do you have a side dish of love and compassion and understanding? And we should be serving all those things up, brothers and sisters, because those are the things that we've received from him. Those are the things that God has fed us. And we should be feeding others the same thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy because we have to confess that at times we desperately need them. Lord, we all stumble from time to time. We all make that mistake of passing judgment. We pray that by the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would show us these things, Lord, that we might deal with them, that we might repent, that we might see that area of our foundation that needs work. And we thank you for the gift of your word, Father, that promises to put a sure foundation underneath us. We thank you, Father, for the gift of the Spirit comes to us through the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross, that we might be drawn closer to you. Refine us, Father. Help us to see those around us through your eyes. And Lord, if we dare, show us what we look like through your eyes as well that we might be refined as silver or gold and brought closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray.